0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London, together living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message. So in 1997, a series of billboards and, and magazine ads ran that featured simple black and white photographs um, of a list of some of the, the greatest people, most influential people, both living and dead, and the list included the likes of Albert Einstein, Bob Dylan, Martin Luther King Jr., John Lennon, Richard Richard Branson, Thomas Edison, Mahatma Gandhi, Amelia Earhart, Alfred Hitchcock, Pablo Picasso, Jane Goodall, Jimi Hendrix, Richard Feynman, Buzz Aldrin, and a handful of others. And all that accompanied those photographs. Small in the corner was the text, Think Different, and a certain tech company's then rainbow-colored logo. As part of the campaign, there was also a 60-second video commercial featuring a montage of a a list of these heavyweights um, and and a voiceover that would become very famous. Let's listen to it. Here's to the crazy ones push the human race forward while some may see them as the crazy ones we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do we're in the in the midst of a series called "Change your World," um, and let me encourage you if you've missed any of the, um, any of the messages so far, jump onto our YouTube channel uh, or onto our Facebook page and, and really catch up. We've had some powerful messages from both Andre and Sonica. So if our end game is to is to change our worlds. And I believe we do well to to take a closer look at some of the lives of the people who actually changed the world. And there's a, there's definitely no shortage of inspiration in in that list of of people, of great people, and we can pull a lot from their lives. Um, but the person that I want to focus on this morning actually didn't make the cut, uh, and it's not Jesus, um, but we'll speak about him too. Don't worry. Uh, but this person. Their fame was only really beginning to rise at at this point, and uh, I think you'd be perceived as quite an egotist if you if you made an advert about a, a series of great people and included yourself in that list. Um, so I'm I'm talking about none other this morning than than Steve Jobs, uh, the voice behind behind that commercial. So Steve Jobs, together with Steve Wozniak, a friend of his, started Apple computers in the garage of Steve's parents' home in 1976. And Jobs had a vision to create a computer for the rest of us. So just to put computing in the 70s into perspective, a computer at that time was the size of a room, okay? likely from here to, to about there. Okay? And it was owned by the likes of the military and really large banks. Okay? And you needed to be like nerd level 3000 to be able to operate um, this computer. But it was all just command prompts, Nothing Nothing pretty about it. So Jobs and, and Wozniak, to, to say the least, had a pretty ambitious goal. In Apple's early years, Jobs referenced a study by Scientific American on locomotion. That is the efficiency of motion from point A to point B. And they studied all the species on the planet, and they found that the condor came out as the most efficient animal of all. And quite embarrassingly, humans were way down on that list. But someone at uh, Scientific American had the presence of mind to, to put man on a bicycle. And all of a sudden, we leap right to the top by quite a large margin in terms of our efficiency. And Jobs is quoted as saying, when we invented the personal computer, we created a new kind of bicycle. He was referring to a bicycle of the mind. They set out to create a computer that an everyday person could use to amplify their abilities. Steve Jobs said, achieved what he set out to do, and so much more. But the Jobs and the Apple story uh, is, is, is not all sunshine and roses. Apple nearly went bankrupt twice. Jobs was ousted from his own company in 1985 after a power struggle with the CEO that he put in, in place. He went on to found a company called Next Computers. And at the same time, he helped to start the very famous animation studio known as Pixar, which is responsible for the Toy Story movies and many, many others. But when Toy Story came out in 1995, it revolutionized uh, the, the motion animation scene. Many people don't know that, that Jobs was the, was the man behind it. So he was eventually brought back into his own company when Apple bought Next Computers in 1997. And at the time, the company had 90 days left of, of money in their bank account before they went bank. Jobs soon took back control as CEO, and that's when the company really began to take off again. He had a hand in either the ideation, creation, or innovation of the Apple I, the Apple II the Apple Lisa, the Macintosh, the iMac, iTunes, the iPod, iPhone, and the iPad. I know, right? Each of these products revolutionized their respective industries. The Macintosh was the first computer to utilize a graphical user interface and be controlled by a mouse. Up until that point, it was all text entries. You created files and folders and icons, and you were able to click on them with a mouse. Before that, if you bought a computer, you bought a problem, because you needed to know how to use it first before you could do anything with it. Jobs' idea of making all music digitally available in an online store known as iTunes at the same price of a dollar per song absolutely revolutionized the music industry. The iPod, a thousand songs in your pocket, Before that, it was a clunky Walkman with 13 songs on a CD. The iPhone, before that we were all using half-screen, half-keyboard phones. Jobs thought that idea was silly, and the first all-screen phone was born. I recently watched the the Netflix movie entitled Jobs, and I couldn't help but be inspired. Um, It's obvious that I'm I'm an Apple fan, um, but this morning is, is not about me glorifying a man or or for us to, to idolise material possessions. I'm not trying to sell you on the on the products either, although that, that could just happen. Um, I'm not even about I'm not even trying to add in your heart, please by all means go for it. And just remember who gave you the final push. Okay, I'm not that greedy, just a seaside villa in the south of France in a ninety foot yacht will do. The story of Steve Jobs inspired me because it stirred something in me to believe that I can make a difference for the kingdom of God. There is something in me that can bring about a change in this world. It inspired me because I was, in, I was stirred to believe that you, each of you, can make a difference in this world. I was inspired because I believed that together we can truly change our worlds, if not our world. Because ultimately there was nothing special about Steve Jobs or, or any of these other, other list of, of great people. Steve wasn't, wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. In fact, he was given up for adoption by his college um, student parents. I just couldn't, couldn't look after him, couldn't break their lives for, for, for a baby. And it did give him quite a lucky break because he ended up being raised in a home in Palo Alto, California, which is now known as Silicon Valley, where all the greatest tech companies have their headquarters. So yes, there is a measure of belief that we can have in ourselves based on what we see human beings are capable of. But I believe as Christians, we should be on a whole nother level. Steve Jobs did all that he did without what? without God without the Holy Spirit in him what if I said to you that the impact of Steve Jobs' greatest achievement was merely the first rung of your ladder of success you'd probably say okay that's sort of inspiring but I don't think so I want to say to you this morning I don't care what you think and I have a show of hands who has surrendered their life to God here this morning who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them who has confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord so what right do you have to say that God can't move power through you that God can't change the world through you you don't belong to yourself anymore, you're dead it's Christ who lives in you And in him, all things are possible. It's time for us to start thinking differently about ourselves and about God. The opening chapter of the book of Daniel is a good example of this. King Nebuchadnezzar has just besieged Jerusalem, and he sends his chief of staff out to collect the the finest, healthiest, strongest, most good-looking men... Um, to bring back to his palace in Babylon as captives. And Daniel and three of his friends are among those chosen. In verse 17 it says, God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. So four guys who serve God get an extra measure of wisdom and understanding in an area that they know nothing about. And then in verse 20 it says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Ten times better. Remember, ten times better than an already elite group of people. See, we may have similar skill sets um, to others around us, but when we apply kingdom principles, we get the leg up over everyone else. Imagine what the world would look like if every Christian was ten times better than the leaders in their industries. How would that affect society's view of Christianity? Their view of God? You know, last week, um, Sonica spoke of us being kings and queens. And she told the story of David, who was anointed as king long before he stepped into the position. And it just hit home for me. We need to believe in who God has called us and what he has called us to. And we need to believe that before we see it. You know, I'm excited because I see something happening in this church. And I look down here and I look on stage and I look behind the scenes. And I just see so many people who are putting their hand up and saying, I'm here, God. I'm surrendered and I'm ready to serve you. And I, the worship team at the moment is, is just in a, in, in a wonderful place. There's so much unity. Um, and, and everyone on the team is just surrendered to God. There's such a pure worship coming from the teams, all the teams that get together here on a Sunday. And I see it in the, in the ushering teams. I've heard stories of... Of people who are just excited to be here. You know, it's not just a chore of laying out chairs and and doing a few things. You know, they're here to serve God. And they're here to be used by God. And it's a very important aspect of our service—the welcome, everything that's that's set out. And people are just putting out their hands. We have the production team at the back. I see it in the in the, in the elders even. There's something that in the last few months we. We've been through something as a church. Um, you know, it's not just, it's not just me who has, has fought through the loss of Kim and the challenges and, and and the hurt and the questions that we've had. You know, our hope has been tested. Our faith has been tested. And I believe we're coming out better for it. And I can just see that there's a hunger. We're unsettled. To, to, to quote the video, we, we are, Losing respect for the status quo. We're not happy with the way things are anymore. And we're pursuing God and pursuing something deeper. And it, it's stirring something in me. I'm so excited and I just want to run. And that's where I'm at this morning. I want to like, catch us in this in this moment where, we, where we're inspired and where we, we're shaken and challenged and stirred and, and just ready to go. And I want us to, I want to just transfer that momentum into seeing our worlds changed, into us believing that it's us who can do it and that God wants to do it through us. So we're going we're to dig a little bit deeper into um, the life of Steve Jobs. This morning we're going to pull out some, some ideas and, and little nuggets from the way he ran Apple um, and, and some of the things he did. Does that sound Okay. Okay, good stuff. All right, let's let's pray before we get into that. Father, we just welcome you this morning, Lord, and Jesus, I just thank you that in each of us you have you have placed something, Lord. You have placed an identity, you have placed an urgency. You have placed something in us, Lord, to to go out and to reach the lost, Father God, to change our respective worlds and our spheres. So Jesus, I just pray this morning that you will ignite something in us, Lord. Father, give us, give us practical wisdom, give us tools on how to move from where we are into somewhere where we can truly be used effectively by you for the advancement of your kingdom. We welcome you, Jesus. I just pray, Father, that you will speak through my words this morning. And Holy Spirit, you will just come and do whatever you want to do. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. So first up, you need to know your why. Steve Jobs is quoted as saying, we're here to put a dent in the universe. Otherwise, why else even be here? Steve Jobs was constantly driven by his why. From the beginning, he had a vision to see the power of computers in the hands of ordinary people. And with each iteration of the early Apple computers, through to the Macintosh, later the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad and iTunes, Jobs had an incredibly clear vision of what he wanted to do, where he wanted to go, what he wanted to achieve with each of these products. And I've read countless articles, all citing Jobs' vision as being the key to his success. It was his vision that drove and informed every decision. So what is your why in this life? Why do you do the things you do? Why do you get out of your bed in the morning? What drives your desires and even your needs? You know, I've become so aware of the importance of having a why since Kim passed away, and especially in the last month. And to be totally honest, I've found myself in a pretty serious slump, and my work has kind of lost its meaning, and I'm stuck in this routine of just waking up, getting the girls fed and packing lunchboxes and getting them to school, and then I've got a few hours to do a bit of work, and then it starts over again where I fetch them from school and take them to ballet and swimming and... Try and spend a bit of extra time with them in the afternoon, take them for a bike ride or a walk. And then it's supper and it's bath and bed. And then I do a little bit of work again maybe and, and go to sleep. And I don't know, I have no idea what depression looks like. But I think this is probably the closest I've ever come to it. I take walks out into our garden some days and I see the flamboyant tree that we planted three years ago and it hurts me to know that I'll never sit under its shade with her. I lie in bed some nights, a place that feels like the scene of the crime. And I become aware that there's no longer anyone next to me. Nobody's still fighting. Sometimes it's far less dignified. I find myself in the kitchen or the lounge or the shower or in the car. And I'm doubled over in anguish because of how much this sucks. For us as Christians, our overall mission statement, or how why, should look roughly the same: to bring glory to God in all that we do, and to fulfil the Great Commission, that is to go out and to share the news of Jesus, making disciples of all the nations. The legacy of Kim's life ignited in me a mission to see people saved, to see them come into the kingdom of God. I don't want anybody that comes across my path to be in a situation where they feel the pain that Kim felt, that I feel, not knowing the love of the Father, not knowing the hope of God, not having an eternal hope. Kim gave me an urgent why for my life, with her life, but her death Leaves me without the wind in my sails to carry me there. I'm giving myself some grace. I promise. I know many people are concerned when I share this kind of thing. I've got. I realise I, I'm giving myself time to to pick up the pieces. And I've felt God to. I felt God calling me to to more regular ministry. A role of some sort. Um, now, I don't really know what it looks like, but uh, for now, we've just agreed that I'm going to be up here a little bit more often. But I can tell you there's a massive cost to getting up here. Until you've preached for yourself, you have no idea what happens in the weeks and the days and the hours before standing up to deliver a message. You know, this is, this is no two-minute oral on my pet. This is war, and the devil comes for us, and yesterday I had a, I just had a terrible day from start to finish trying to get prepped, and, the, and the, the elders are used to my SOS going out on a Saturday afternoon just saying I'm a wreck, and I, I don't know where I'm going, and I don't know if I'm going to get this message done. But they prayed with me and I I immediately just just felt better. I spent some time worshiping and just getting into the presence of God and rebuking the devil. Because the devil doesn't play fair, does he? And honestly, without a why, I would probably still be in bed right now under the covers. And you guys would awkwardly be looking around at who's going to come up on stage and share something. Jobs was so motivated by his why that when he ran out of money while developing the first Apple computer, he sold his van and Steve Wozniak sold his graphing calculator. They were willing to pay a price for their vision. At some point as Apple CEO, Steve Jobs was earning a dollar a year. Okay, His stocks were probably making him smile, but uh, he was still pursuing his why regardless of what it cost him. So you need to find your why. The big overall why should be pretty settled for us as Christians. But then there are other whys, the smaller whys. The why for the year, the why for the season, why for your career, why for your marriage. And they should never contradict each other. They should all link up to your main purpose in this life. So once your why is established in a heart, Once your motivation and your vision is settled, it's time to work everything around it. And that means you need to simplify. When Steve Jobs came back to Apple in 1997, on the brink of bankruptcy, he stripped things right back. At the time, Apple was pursuing some 350 different products. When he came in as interim CEO, he whittled that down to 10 and he said, we are going to make these 10 products insanely great. If we can get our focus to a place where we know exactly what it is we want to achieve in life, then simplification will be a natural process. As soon as we know our why, we can nurse our us from hitting that aim. As mentioned, my, my capacity is really limited at the moment and for the foreseeable future. Uh, I, I honestly have four hours of dedicated work time in the day between seven thirty and eleven thirty, um, and following that, I'm, I'm hands on with my girls. You know, but but that's also part of my why. I think I mentioned this uh, the last time I shared, but for me, there's this tension in my heart, and I, and I and I call it presence versus provision. I can lock myself in my office from from morning to night, you know, and just pop my head out to to see that the girls are. are are getting along fine um you know I can feed them drop them off and then just work for the whole day get somebody else to fetch them drop them off do this and do that take them for the bike ride and whatever it is and the result is that they will probably have have everything they need I will I will have money coming in that will provide for their every need and for their future so they'll be happy from that point of view and I, and I believe that's a it's a noble cause but on on the other side of things I could I could do absolutely zero work and spend all my time with them, and the result is we would have fairly little, but be quite rich in relationships. On the, on the other hand, though, I would if I, was, if I was with them, we could have everything. I mean, sorry, if I wasn't with them, if I worked all the time, we could have everything, yet have no relationships. The kids would just know a shadow of their father. And my why is... One of my whys is is to invest in the life of my children while I still have the opportunity to. And, And I have to teach them. I want to teach them as much about life and godliness as I can and impart the legacy of their mother to them each and every day and do my best to instill a confidence in them that through Jesus they can change their worlds And that requires that I sacrifice on other things though. I believe God is calling me to get up here and to preach on a Sunday and I have to sacrifice time to prepare a message. It's hard work. Honestly, I was in the fetal position yesterday. It's tough. I might even have to sacrifice work hours, which is a sacrifice in, in, in paid work. I'm, I'm, an, I'm a graphic designer, so I'm I'm paid hourly. If I'm not working, the money's not coming in. So for me to get up here, I have to sacrifice some of that time. But I trust that God is faithful. When you're motivated by your wires, you can simplify your life that nothing stands in the way of achieving your aims. And I know that's not easy. We already have so much on our plates, and we want to add more, am I right? We just want to do more stuff, achieve more things. And then you get asked to do something and you say, but I don't have time, I know, I couldn't agree with you more, you don't have time. If you knew you only had a couple of years left on earth, what would you change? Would you just carry on the way you are? How would you simplify your life in order to achieve and to focus on what you believe is important? To simplify our lives can be a very complicated process, but we can trust for innovative ideas. Like the engineers who were developing the iPod. Steve Jobs was relentless in insisting that he wanted no buttons on that thing, apart from the on and off switch. Engineers didn't know what to do, but he wouldn't let go. And in the end, the scroll wheel was developed an innovative piece of technology based on the fact that they were pushed to completely simplify and keep everything as simple as possible. I believe that we can, we can find those solutions. God is a God of solutions. So let's look to him. Psalm 119 verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. If distractions and clutter are weighing you down in your endeavor of what's important, of fulfilling your why, look to him. He's a creative genius. Study and meditate on his word, focus on his ways. Then we need to preen the unseen. Jobs' adopted father used to love working with his hands, and he worked in the garage and he used to bring Steve in, and he taught him to craft the backs of things, like fences and cupboards, the stuff that no one ever really saw. And this is something that he never let go of. When working on the Mac, a process that took three years because of Jobs' incessant perfectionism, he got his engineers to design and redesign the motherboard just because it looked ugly. The motherboard is right inside the hard computer. No one ever sees it. He felt it was inelegant and thought that time should be dedicated to redesigning it. It took six months before he was happy just with the way the scroll bars worked on the Mac operating system OS X. He got personally involved in the number of screws that went into a laptop case. Listen to this. Jobs believed that for an object to resonate with consumers, every piece of it had to be right, even the ones you couldn't see. So how does your product look on the inside? Are you taking care of the unseen? Do you realize the importance of that which no one else can see? Jesus says in Luke 6, verses 43 to 45, the Passion Translation, you'll never find choice fruit hanging on a bad, unhealthy tree and rotten fruit doesn't hang on a good, healthy tree. Every tree will be revealed by the quality of fruit that it produces. You will never pick figs or grapes from thorn trees. People are known in the same way. Out of the virtue stored in their hearts, good and upright people will produce good fruit. Likewise, out of the evil hidden in their hearts evil ones will produce what is evil. For the overflow of what, have been sto- what has been stored in your heart will be seen by your fruit and will be heard in your words. This is a, quite a hot topic for me right now. When I leave here and go home and close my front door I'm invisible from you. Invisible from the world. Okay, I've got Two little beady eyes watching me all the time. But when I, uh, two pairs of eyes, rather. But when I close my bedroom door, when I close my office door, I'm completely unseen. What am I doing with my time? I can Netflix and chill the whole night scroll aimlessly through social media feeds, expose myself to junk and filth. But at some point, it's going to slowly infect my heart. And soon enough, my mouth will expose what my heart overflows. Apple produces some of the most beautiful products on the market. So much time goes into crafting a beautiful piece of tech, but would they be so su- successful if they didn't work the way they did? If they didn't work as well? Not a chance. I don't know the split, but I'm, I'm sure they probably spend it, at least ten times the amount of time that they do on the outside as they do on the inside. And that's what makes them so successful. If our witness and our testimony, both in word and deed, is to resonate with those around us, our lives need to match up. And when you've been a Christian for long enough, it's easy to, to fake it. It's easy to make the outside look good. Dust off the keyboard, get the smudges off your screen. But if you've got a bug on the inside of you and you allow it to fester, pretty soon all you'll be is an empty shell with nothing of value and nothing to give. So what do you do in your unseen time? If I pulled out your motherboard right now, would it be in need of redesign? Would it get the job stamp of approval? Or would he call it ugly? didn't engineer anything in his life. Steve Jobs didn't engineer anything in his life. Probably had more computer knowledge than, than most of us, but he wasn't the best engineer He wasn't the best product designer, or best marketer, or the best CEO. Jobs couldn't do it all, so he partnered with and recruited others. Romans 12, verses 3 to 5, sorry, 3 to 8, says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Sounds like a familiar concept, right? If you've been in this church long enough, you would have heard the fivefold ministry model. And this is much the same as it. The members of the body of Christ are not meant to operate alone. Because you cannot be the best at everything. It's impossible. That accolade is reserved for Jesus. Sorry. In all his endeavors, Jobs brought people alongside him who were the best in the business. He knew his limitations, so he recruited people to cover his weaknesses. But he didn't just want the best. He wanted the best of those who got the vision. Steve Jobs, for all his wonderful attributes, could be a shocker of a human being. One author said he mistreated people. He was ruthless in his business dealings. He was vindictive. He lacked compassion. And that's just the light stuff. In the Jobs movie I watched, it it shows some of these relationships and how he just burnt them in pursuit of his dreams. People came and went... If they bought the vision, he ran with them. If he didn't, if they didn't, he cut them loose. And while I definitely don't want to suggest that that treating people in this way should be the takeaway um, from from this point, there is some wisdom in going with who is available. Now, in the aftermath of of the COVID season, when we restrictions on our on, on our gatherings, when we when we came back. You know, as a, as a leadership, we were looking around and saying, where's that person, you know, and where's this person gone? And we, of course, reached out to them and made calls and checked in and when are you coming back and are oh, you okay? But the church cannot spend their days waiting for the right people or looking back and, 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 and getting people to come on board. The church is one of the few organizations that still exists for its non-members, and we should all be very grateful for that, because it's likely that you've come to Jesus as a result of somebody in a church who came out and invited you to their church. And we most definitely need to care for the people we have, but never at the exclusion of the people out there who it is our mission to reach. And that means we need to constantly move forward. We need to keep going. And we need to run with those who avail themselves. If we overfocus on the insiders, that's all we'll end up being is a group of insiders. And we'll have missed the mark completely. You know, I, I know of guys I've heard who, who have a heart for just getting the men together and, and pursuing a, a more regular men's ministry. I got, a, I got a message from somebody who wants to do art in in, in prisons, as, as, as prison ministry. God is placing things on the hearts of his people here, and it's time to run with it. It's time to go. Take somebody with you. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. He knew there was strength in going together to watch each other's backs. But I'm excited to hear these sorts of things, of people getting a vision and wanting to run with it, and I want to encourage you inspire you to do it. Each of us, I don't have a heart to go and um, do art in prisons. It's just not my thing. But someone else does. And that is such a vital ministry. And, and, And that person needs to go and do it. Grab some people and just go. Each of you probably have things that have been stirred in your heart. Do it. Grab someone and go for it. I can assure you that you will not change the world with your backside on that plastic chair. Unless you're like a prolific Twitterer and you can send out gospel messages or something. Okay. So you know your why. you have simplified by cutting out the clutter and the distractions so you can focus on achieving your why. You're taking care of your inside, taking care of the unseen so that your outside can be as effective as it possibly can. And you've surrounded yourself with others who have your back. Now... It's finally time to live it out. Steve Jobs says, When I was 17, I read a quote. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you will most certainly be right. I have looked myself in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I have encountered to help me make the big decisions in life. In the face of of death and the loss that I've suffered, there is one word that that just continues to, to echo in my head, and that word is legacy. What legacy am I wanting to leave behind? You know, if I don't open my eyes tomorrow morning, if you don't open your eyes tomorrow morning, what legacy will you leave behind? Because I think legacy can be something that we we hope for. We have a legacy that we hope for. But let's take a moment this morning to be honest and say, what will our legacy be today if we don't open our eyes tomorrow? What legacy will you have left? And what legacy would you like to leave? And how do you get there? What steps can we take today to start making the changes to get to the legacy we actually want to leave behind instead of the legacy we have now? And I believe these are tools. Know your why. Have an understanding from the outset of what you want to achieve. What your end game is. Get rid of the, the unnecessary. Simplify your life so that that is your aim. Sort out your inside. Let there be no distractions, no blockages, no obstacles to you achieving your goal. Go with somebody. And then just begin to live it out. So that one day, we thought this week that, you know, I think it, obviously death is just a lot on my mind more than... Possibly many other people, um, and I consider that to be a massive blessing. Still, just to to have the brevity of life, so uh, just just to be so aware of it. And I thought that I should start to record some videos for my for my girls. You know, just to, I have so much that I want to share with them, so much that I want to teach them. And what if I don't have the years that I hope to have? What if I don't have another 50 years? What if I've got five? What if I've got five months? What if I've got five days? If I were to to leave them only one video, if I had only one moment to to leave them something, what would I say? What would you say to your loved ones? What would you say to the people who, who mean the most to you in those five minutes? For me, I want to be known for the way I love. And if I leave nothing else with them, it's to know that they were loved. For them to know that they were loved. For them to know that they have a loving father. Because naturally, I would leave them orphaned and they'd have a lot of questions. And they would be wrestling with the goodness of God, no doubt. But these are the kind of things I would want to establish in them to know that they are loved, to know that they have a loving Father, and to know that He is good. John 13 verse 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There is a world out there that is waiting to be changed. And they don't even know it. I want to leave you with one final lesson from Steve Jobs' life. And it dovetails with something that Henry Ford once said upon reflecting on the the building of the modern car. He said, if I asked customers what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. And Jobs agreed, saying our job is to figure out what they're going to want before they want it. We have something to offer the world right now. And most people don't even know that they need it. And you have it. You have it living inside of you. Other people have it too, but don't leave it up to other people. Don't leave it up to the pastors and the preachers and the evangelists. God has called you in your world, in your sphere, in your family, in your workplace. He has called you. be the change agent thank you for listening find more on shofar east london's podcast channel let's do life together